Thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure that you are up to date on all things The Cross. So be sure to head over to our website, thecross.family. Here's where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Now here's the latest message from The Cross Church. Blessings. All righty. Well, it's good to be with you on a Sunday morning. Is it just my imagination or is it cooling down a little bit? I think it's cooling down. <laughs> we are people of faith in Florida. I believe the cool is coming. So, uh, so we are excited, but uh, very good to be with you. We are moving into round two of our series. Uh, last week, we kicked it off and we are talking about the book of Acts. And um, if you recall last week, I said that the book of Acts is a little bit like a really good action movie. It's like a sequel. It is a follow-on from the Gospels. In the Gospels, we get the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And then from there, Luke takes us into the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we get to see how God births the church. And we get to see this beautiful picture of what the purpose and the calling of the church is. Last week, I said that uh, the book of Acts is like a sequel. Uh, this week, I'm going to give you a little bit of a different spin. I don't know if you've realized this, but I've realized that of late, there's a real trend with remaking old movies. They are taking old classic movies and they are simply remaking them and casting them with new characters. Uh, they redid a Ghostbusters movie recently. Uh, I saw on uh, Netflix, they've taken one of the all-time classics, uh, She's All That, and they've changed it to He's All That. Yep, I know Amy's watched it at least. Me, Amy, and the girls have watched it. Um, but what I love about these remakes and when you watch them, especially when you watch them with your children, is most of the time they've never seen the original movie. So you kind of sit down, you power through the remake, they kind of like the movie, and then at the end of the movie, you get to say to them as a parent filled with pride, so that wasn't actually the original. So that's actually kind of a poor remake of what was a classic. Let me explain to you how it worked in my day when Ghostbusters originally came out in New York City. Let me show you a real movie, and then you show your kids the real movie, the real classic original Star Wars, right? That's how we do it. And then typically what happens is there's two things that take place whenever you show somebody a remake. The first one thing that happens is, is they understand the movie that they just watched, right? They kind of go, ah, oh, I get it now. I see the little Easter eggs. That's why this person did that. That's where they tied this in. Now it makes sense why all the old people made cameo appearances in the movie. I didn't understand it, but now I get it. And then the second thing that happens if your children are humble is they have to admit the original was better. Uh, they go, I have to give it to you. The original movie was, in fact, a better movie than the one we just watched. So I say all that to say that as we read the book of Acts, really in a sense what we're getting to do is, is we're getting to watch the original movie, right? We're living in a time where there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of churches around. If you go online, there's a lot of resources around how to build a good church, how should a church function, what should a pastor do. Um, I'm still going to read that book at some point. Um, 
but there's all this information. There's everybody out there trying their best to do what they need to do. But the beautiful thing about the book of Acts is we have actually been given the original movie. We can go, we can sit back, and that's really what we're going to do this morning is um, we're going to watch the original movie in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take a couple of things out of the story that's going to help us. And my hope this morning is basically twofold. My first hope is, is that we will capture the heartbeat of God for the church. I believe as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to capture God's heartbeat for the church. Second thing I'm hoping is, is that we are going to get a practical, clear picture of what the church should look like. Um, I think it can be frustrating sometimes as Christians, especially when we speak about spiritual things. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like it's up there, while this morning it's going to be nice and practical, something that you can really bite your teeth into. So let's get right into it. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 1 to 12. If you are a good student um, and you listen in the classroom, you will remember what we discussed in last week's lesson. And last week, we spoke about the fact that Jesus tells the disciples to wait. There we go. He tells the disciples to wait, and He promises them the Holy Spirit. And He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses, and you will receive power. Now, the this, this story starts to move. We go to Acts chapter 2, and look at what happens now. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. This is the disciples. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of, it, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue or language? Um, Parisians, Medes. Elamites, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some mistakes here. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Pigria, Familia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. There's one I know. Um, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So we're going to pause the movie right here. And there's a couple of things I want to take out of this that is absolutely beautiful for us to see. But what's happening here is, is the disciples are in one room. They're waiting, just like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And now what happens is each and every single one of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit fills them, He enables them and equips them to speak different languages. 
at this particular time, there were a whole bunch of different people from a whole bunch of different places in the world gathered together. And God immediately through the Holy Spirit empowers his disciples to be witnesses by empowering them to speak the languages of the different people that are gathered together in one place. A couple of things that we can take out of this. And the first one that sort of jumps out at me is, is that God's heart is for those that don't know Him. At no point ever was the church supposed to be a tea party for two. I remember my pastor in South Africa used to say it this way. He used to say that the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. The church is built. The church is made. The church is called for those that are lost, those that are hurting, and those that are broken. The church was never meant to be an exclusive club simply made up of believers, but the church is a movement of people called to a lost and a hurting and a dying world. Right out the onset, right out the gate, right in the beginning, as they receive the Holy Spirit, immediately God empowers and equips the disciples to go and reach those that don't know and have not heard the gospel. I think we have got to be very, very careful that we do not turn into a country club that has an exclusive membership. I understand that we are moving into times that are complicated. I understand that we are moving into times that can be difficult. I understand that there are people out there with all kinds of funny and weird ideas. I understand that it's important for us to protect ourselves. It's important for us to stand together. It's important for us to be in unity. All these things are important, but we are called and we are anointed to reach those that think differently to us, to reach those that look different to us, to reach those that have not been rescued and saved. That is the purpose and that is the calling of the church. I'm going to tell you right now that if your, your church has lost its passion for the lost, then your church is in trouble. Your church is not where it needs to be. Jesus says it this way. He says that if the salt loses its saltiness or if the salt loses its flavor, it is thrown out and it will be trampled upon. And I believe that what Jesus is saying is, is that when something loses its purpose, it will lose its value. The church's purpose and the church's value is found in the church's heart for those that are unsaved, for those that are lost, for those that are hurting. That is why this church is so passionate about creating all kinds of different avenues all over the place where people that are not a part of this church can enter in and experience something special, and that is what we are called to do. The next thing that uh, we see in this amazing moment is that we see that God will supernaturally equip average people to accomplish this mission. God's heart is for the lost and the hurting and the broken, but God in His absolute mercy and grace has called all of us into this mission of redemption with Him. And God will use average, unequipped, uneducated people to do extraordinary things. We are a culture that absolutely celebrates um, really being equipped. We are a culture of certification. That is why we've got people with 17 degrees and they don't know how to mail a letter at the post office, right? 
Um, we are over-certified, we are over-red-taped, we over-coach, we over-train, we make 100% sure that a person has X amount of hours before they're actually capable of even doing the most simple of tasks, but that's not how the kingdom works, that's not how God works. I uh, went onto the interwebs to look up how long it would take an average person with an average capacity to learn a new language. If you were to take on the task of learning a new language today, how long would it take you? And apparently, according to the internet, the first Google article I read, so it must be correct, um, it says that it will take you anywhere from 500 to 700 hours to get a basic grasp of a foreign language. I can tell you that my wife lived with me in South Africa for 10 years, and she still does not have a grasp of my native tongue. And she doesn't even understand what I say in English most of the time. So, um, so this can get complicated. Um, but here we see the Holy Spirit in an instance take a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of average men that are not educated, that don't know what they're doing, and in the blink of an eye, they are supernaturally empowered and equipped to be witnesses for God. And we see this amazing thing take place. Um, I remember in South Africa many years ago, we had a team of missionaries come out to South Africa and they were going to teach us at the church how to evangelize, how to witness to people. And um, they had a system. It was a very good system. Uh, you had to ask a couple of questions to a person that you'd never met before. That would open up the conversation. And then you had five points that they would teach you that you had to walk through in order to effectively lead somebody to the Lord or lead somebody to Christ. Now, let me say this. I'm not bashing that at all. I think it's extremely valuable. I think it's something we should probably look at at the church as well. We need to equip people. We need to train people how to effectively witness and how to effectively preach the gospel. But here I was, and uh, I was as bright back then as I am now. And I sat through three days of classes. And at the end of three days, what happened was they were like, okay, that's it. Enough training enough teaching. We're going to go out into the streets. We're going to go to shopping malls. Uh, some of the older people will remember what a shopping mall is. Uh, we will go to the shopping malls. You're going to find random people and you're going to implement the system that we've taught you and you're going to witness the gospel to someone. And what's going to happen is, is you're actually going to have two trainers with you. So off I went, ladies and gentlemen, into the wild blue yonder, um, kind of like a kid on a training bicycle with my two little safety wheels, my two trainers. I found a person in the mall. I went up to this person and immediately straight out the gate, I got the opening question wrong. <laughs> I started with the end conclusion. I literally flipped the script. Both trainers kind of looked at each other and went, Okay, so we're with the biggest moron on the face of the planet today. Um, I have no idea what I said. I have no idea what I was trying to do. I stumbled and bumbled my way through the process. I ended up basically kind of just sharing my testimony. And at the end of it, this person was crying. I was crying. We were hugging. I prayed for the guy. He went to, uh, along his business. I looked at the two trainers and I was like, jazz hands? Like, what are you... What do you guys think? Am I qualified? And they were like, that was both the most amazing and worst thing we've ever seen in our entire lives. Uh, you've kind of flunked this project. 
but you effectively witness to somebody that was lost and hurting and broken because that is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will empower us to reach the lost. There's another thing that I want to say about this that I find kind of interesting. And notice how the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples to speak a language that connects to the outsiders. The Holy Spirit empowers and equips the disciples to speak a language that is actually in concordance with the outsiders. The attitude of the Holy Spirit is not, and let me repeat this, the attitude of the Holy Spirit is not the Christians are going to be all Christian and the outsiders have to do everything they can do to relate to the Christians. That's not what God does in this moment. God gives the disciples languages that connects to the outsiders. And I believe this is important because I believe that as time evolves, as things change, as the church, we've got to make sure that we are evolving as well. Now, let me be clear in what I'm saying here. The message of Jesus Christ does not evolve. It does not change. It stays and remains the same. Jesus says, I am the same today, yesterday, and forever. He does not change. But language will change. Language will evolve. And because of that, as the church, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to reach the generation that is in front of us. What does that mean? That means sometimes on a Sunday morning, the lights might look a way that's not your preference. That might mean on a Sunday morning, the music is a little too contemporary for your taste. That might mean sometimes that we're doing things online that we've never done before. That might mean that we're engaging in new ways in a new audience. And I do think it's important for us to understand that because I think we can get very stuck in our ways sometimes. We can get to a place where we make the method holy. There's nothing holy about the method it is the message that is holy, and we need to make sure that we are actually connecting to the people that are in front of us. Um, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that excellence is the language a secular community speaks. Excellence is the language a secular community speaks. That's why, as a church, we are committed to always do everything we do in excellence, um, I remember when my father first went to church in South Africa. That was a miracle in and of itself. I dragged the man to a church service after my life was radically changed. And uh, after church, I said to my dad, so what did you think? Like, I was so keen to hear what he thought. And he said to me, well, I didn't really understand the songs. I didn't hear much of what the guy had to say. But I was very impressed by how organized and timely the whole affair was. I literally said to my dad, Dad, you're so British. Like, what? So that's what you got out of the service, how timely it was? He was like, yes. It was very organized and was very timely, and I can respect that as a man. I'm like, bro, you're such a boomer, okay? Um, but that's what got my dad back to church the next couple of weeks, and then God radically saved him and changed his life. At first, what changed him was the excellence. It was the fact that things were done in the right way. You see, he did not speak a spiritual language at that point. He spoke a secular language, and the Holy Spirit reached him through that language. All right, let's move on here with our movie. That was a long pause. We've all got popcorn now. Let's go. Acts 2, 14 to 15, then Peter stood up with the eleven. Oh, baby, Peter, here we go. We know this guy, right? He's back, baby. 
Um, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. When they started speaking in different languages, they were being accused of being drunk. So Peter says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Peter has not been to Lake County. Uh, Nine in the morning would have not affected anybody. <laughs> That's mimosa time, okay? Um, but Peter's trying to tell these guys, hey, and Peter's about to essentially get into the gospel here. But yeah, you heard right. This is Peter. Remember the guy that denied Jesus three times? Remember that guy? This is that guy that is getting ready to preach the gospel. Remember the guy that was such a thug, he tried to cut a guy's face off? I mean, how thug and gangster is it? Like, I mean, have a little bit of respect. If you're going to try shank someone, at least go for the gut. You don't go for a man's face, right? Peter tried to cut a man's face off. Instead, he cut the guy's ear off. I mean, Peter is wild. Peter disqualified himself a million times over. But here we are in the book of Acts right at the beginning. And it's the same Peter who has disqualified himself many times that gets up and he gets ready to preach. And listen to what Peter says here. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Same guy that could not tell a 12-year-old girl that he had hung out with Jesus gets up and he starts preaching this message. There is power here now all of a sudden. There is authority here now all of a sudden. Peter gets up with absolute confidence and boldness. The frightened fisherman now becomes the bold preacher as he pronounces the gospel. Listen to what happens as Peter does this. This is absolutely astounding. Acts 2, 36 to 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. Peter gets up and preaches with absolute boldness. There's no watered down gospel here, ladies and gentlemen. There is pure gospel as Peter gets up and with confidence and with boldness proclaims the gospel. And the book of Acts then tells us that the church adds 3,000 lives 
to its membership on that day. I read that in the week, and a couple of things stood out for me. The first one is, is that it actually records the number of people that were saved that day. I think sometimes when we start talking numbers in church, people can get very uncomfortable and people can get very uneasy. Um, as much as I hate math as the next guy, I want to tell you that numbers are not evil in and of themselves. Even in the book of Acts, it mentions and it records the number of lives that were changed that day. But the thing that really stood out for me is the fact that the church essentially becomes a mega church on day one. On day one, the church grows from a group of 12 to a group of over 3,000. The reason I believe this is important for us to look at and to discuss is because I believe mega church or big church has gotten a very bad reputation in our time. I believe that the way we look at churches that are very big, the way we look at churches that have a lot of people attending, is very often there are automatically certain assumptions made about those churches. Some of the assumptions that are made is, well, their motives are wrong. Simply because they are big, it means that they are egotistical and it means that their motives are wrong. Something that is driving them is wrong. That is an assumption that is made. One of the assumptions that would be made is, well, they are obviously preaching a watered-down gospel. The only reason anybody is attending there is because the gospel that is being preached is a watered-down gospel. One of the criticisms that will be made is, well, um, it is impossible to actually run a church effectively once it gets bigger than a certain number. I want to I really speak into this today and say the following. I believe that there are churches out there, and I believe that there are men out there that are running churches with the wrong motives. I believe that men can be corrupted easily. I believe that everybody gets into this thing with the right motives, but over time, whether it's hurt, whether it's success, whether it's brokenness, I don't know what it is, but if we leave ourselves unaccountable and unchecked, we will get to a place where our motives are askew. Here's what I want to tell you. There are small churches out there with the wrong motives. There are big churches out there with the wrong motives. Let me tell you another thing. There are people out there preaching bad theology. There are big churches out there preaching bad theology. There are small churches out there preaching bad theology. I'll tell you another thing. There are churches out there that are functioning in a dysfunctional way. There are big churches that are dysfunctional. There are small churches that are dysfunctional. What I want us to understand today is simply because something is growing does not mean it's unbiblical. As a matter of fact, the mandate we are given from Christ is to go and to proclaim the gospel to the lost and the hurting and the broken. So if it's healthy, it should grow. There should be growth. Now, here's where we need to be careful. And this is, the, this is where we fall into the other ditch. It cannot simply become about crowds. It cannot simply become about numbers. It's got to stay about the individual. It's got to stay about families. So for us as a church, and this is one of the things that I've always sort of tried to tell myself, is my heart is that we would be a church that reaches lots and lots of individuals. We never want to see past the person. We never want to get to a place where it's bigger than the individual. But we have to understand that as we reach individuals, as we reach families, ultimately we are going to get to a place where church should grow and where we will hopefully have an impact 
on the city God has called us to. Let's, let's move on here. Um, got very quiet there. That's good. My mom always told me that when I'm really eating, I should not speak while I'm eating. So I'm assuming you guys are just eating with your mouths closed. That's good. Um, Acts 2, 42 to 47. Um, this is where it gets juicy this morning. I'm going to give you a bit of steak. And this is where it gets really exciting. Because in this portion of Scripture, we get a crystal clear picture of what the church should look like. And it is absolutely beautiful. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 and it says this, this is the, the disciples. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And in this portion of Scripture, we see some unbelievable truths about what the church should look like. I'm going to give you a couple. The first one is this. The church was made up of people devoted to studying God's Word. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I, uh, I remember when I first moved to the United States of America, I was a foreigner coming to a strange land. I had to relearn the way I did things. I had to relearn the way I understood things. When I first came to the U.S., I had to learn that when you walk into a retail shop and somebody yells, good afternoon, how you're doing, they're not trying to become your friend. They just don't want to get fired from their job. I had to learn that. I had to learn that y'all means all of us or all of you. I had to learn that nobody watches baseball because it's too long, but then we all watch a six-hour Super Bowl, right? Um, I had to learn these things, and I had to customize myself in a new country. The Bible tells us that we are no longer citizens of this world, but we are ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ. We have been called into a new set of rules. And it is important that we accustomize ourselves to this kingdom life. We are called and we are equipped and the Holy Spirit will use us in spite of us. But it is absolutely crucial that we put ourselves in a position where we learn and where we hear what it is God is telling us to do in the life we live. Again, let me say this. We have done everything we can within our power to make all kinds of different Bible studies and groups available to all of you. Um, Chris was saying this earlier in the huddle. Monday night, this place was just buzzing. There was just a life in this place. Every room had something going on. I think we've got something going on every single day of the week. There are no excuses. There is plenty of opportunity to get plugged in and to learn what God's Word will say to us. Next thing we see in this beautiful passage of Scripture is the church was made up of people that spent time together. Acts 2 verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Um, I was 
my wife and I got into a bit of a tiff. Let's call it this on Friday night. A little bit of an argument, a little bit of a tiff. Um, she told me that we were going to go out for a dinner meeting with a whole bunch of people from the gym she has joined. And I basically said to her, I don't understand what's going on. Like, just help me, help me understand what you're saying to me. Um, we're going to go out to eat with a bunch of people from the gym. Aren't you people supposed to not eat? Isn't that the whole point of this? And she said to me, no, the gym has figured out that in order to train properly, you need to do it with friends. I'm just like, hang on. What, what are you, what, what's happened? Uh, what you need is discipline in your life. That's what you need. You need isolation. Rocky didn't have friends. He was out there by himself punching pieces of meat because I hate the meat, right? He wasn't with friends. And Linda says to me, no, 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 no. But the, the philosophy is that we need to be a fitness community. And I'm like, I'm so tired of this word. How many more communities can I be a part of? We're a part of the dog community, the entertainment community. Um, there's all these communities, right? But here's the thing. Here's what's so unbelievable about this. Even the secular gym people have figured out that you can't do life without people. They irritate us. They bug us. They get into our space, right? They're icky and yucky at times. But we can't do it without them. And the church is no exception. Every day, not just Sunday. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say this to you. But every day, the Christians were getting together. There is nothing more holy than a dinner party. Hallelujah. It is the original Christian idea. Getting together and breaking bread is about the most Christian thing you can do. Church was never meant to be a production that happens for an hour on a Sunday. That's not what it is. Church is about a group of people coming together, breaking bread, having relationships. That's what the church is all about. The church was made up of people that spent time together. Let's move on here. The church was made up of people that prayed and believed in miracles. Acts 2, 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen, I get it. We are called to be a community. We are called to do things in excellence. We are called to be timely and fashionable. Uh, we are called to be kind. We are called to be um, people of compassion. I understand all of this. But before anything else, we are called to be people of faith. We are people of faith. We are not Disney World. We are the church, and the church is built on Christ, and nothing is impossible for Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. And he still moves, and he still breathes, and he still does miracles the way he did in the book of Acts. Church, let's not become so 2021 with everything we do. Let's not become so systematized. Let's not become so trusting in everything that we can see, touch, and smell. But let's be people that still continue to believe in miracles. And a praying church is a prosperous church. It's about praying. It's about crying out to the one that can do all things. We have an amazing prayer ministry at this church. Judy Nutter heads up our prayer warriors, and there is an army of people waiting to pray for you at all times. 
at any time, if you want to put in a prayer request, you can do so. And there will be people that will pray for you. And I'm telling you now, I think one of the things we need to look at doing is we need to start getting some of those testimonies and we need to start reading them out in church because there are some amazing things happening through the Spirit of the Lord. I, I want to give you homework this week. Is that, is that okay? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. I'm not going to put anybody under pressure. I'll never do that. That's not the kind of person I am. Um, but here's what we're going to do. I believe that one of the most effective ways you can minister or witness to somebody that doesn't know the Lord is you can ask them if you can pray for them, right? It's a little difficult sometimes to witness to someone. You bump into someone, they tell you their life story. It can be difficult to transition from that into, well, let me tell you how I met Jesus. Here is the easiest transition in all of mankind, right? Do this. The next time you bump into someone and you ask them how they're doing and they look a little down and they tell you their story, ask them if you can pray for them. I'm double daring you, double Dutch, you know, blah, blah, daring you to pray for them right there. I don't care where it is. Do it at the office. Do it at the mall. Do it at the shops. Do it with your fitness community at the gym, right? Where, at the dog park. The next time somebody, and there's a gap, and I'm going to pray Holy Spirit right now. Actually, I'm going to do this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give all of us the opportunity this week to pray for somebody that doesn't know you. Let's see what he does. Let's see what he does this week. Let's move on yeah. The church is made up of people that put their money where their mouth is. Acts 2.45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. When I read that in the week, what it spoke to me was just this simple truth. These guys were all in. All in. Every part of their life was sold out to the gospel. When I was a kid, and I still tend to do this, my mom would make me food and there'd be a little bit of meat, there'd be some potatoes, and then there would be the dreaded veggies on the plate. And what I would do is I would take my knife and fork and I would divide them. The meat is not allowed to touch the ratchet vegetables. It will contaminate it. It cannot touch the broccoli. These things can't touch. And my mom would go, oh man, every bite is so much better if you put it together. And she would take the broccoli and the meat and put it in the mash. And I would want to lose my mind. I'm like, don't let my mashed potatoes touch the broccoli. Um, but I think that's what we do in our lives a little bit. We've sort of compartmentalized things. We've gone, hey, here's the Christian part of my life. I'm going to put it nicely and tidily in that Sunday morning block. Yep, I've got my calendar. Bloop. Let me put it in there. Nice. There's Christianity done. Okay, so I'm also a mom. I also run my own business. I also have this that I have to do. Uh, wine time with the ladies Thursday night, ping. And what we do is we put all these things in our little boxes. That's not what the early church did, right? The early church took all of it, every single piece of it, fatherhood, business, finances, friends, family. It took all of those things and it put it in the mashed potatoes. That is the gospel. It put it all on the foundation of Jesus Christ and what He is doing. And the gospel empowered everything, every decision. They put their money where their mouth is. The church was built on an all-in attitude. And then the last thing, as we dismiss today, that we see in the early church the church was made up of people filled with joy. Church was made up of people filled with joy. 
Acts 2, 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church is earmarked by people that are filled with joy. And sometimes I feel like I'll come to church and it looks like some of us have been sucking lemons all day long, right? I get it. The world is tough. I get it. I get it. I get it. There's tough things going on. Lots of things out of our control. But we are not people that base our lives on things that are within our control. We are people that base our lives on the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, all-gracious, all-loving, all-moving God. That is our foundation. That is our hope. That is what we focus on. That is what we stand on. And it doesn't matter if the world burns around us. There is another man in the fire. There is joy in the church. Let us be people that are earmarked by our uncontainable joy. We are people of joy. Let's stand in this place today. I know I've thrown a lot at you, a lot of information. I want us to close our eyes in this place and there's two prayers that I want to pray. First one is, Father, I want to thank you for the honor and the privilege of being called into your church. I thank you, Lord, that just like on the day of Pentecost, you are still moving. You are still using us. You still have a heart for the lost and the hurting and the broken. Father, I thank you that you still move. You still do miracles. Lord, we pray this morning that we will be a people that reflects who you are. We will be a people that is your church. I thank you, Father, that as we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the gates of hell itself shall not prevail against your church. So, Father, we thank you for that. What an honor and what a privilege it is to be in your church. Help us to be the church this week as we go out. Last, last group that I want to speak to quickly today is this. If you're in this place today and as I was speaking this morning, you just felt convicted, you felt led, you felt drawn on your heart. You want to take the next steps in your spiritual journey. I don't know what those steps are for you. Maybe you're in here today and you weren't a believer, but in the worship and in the preaching, you felt drawn to His words and you felt drawn to believe that the gospel is in fact the truth. Maybe you're in here today and you're dealing with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and your next step is to get vulnerable. Your next step is to get healing. Maybe you're in this place today and you feel like your next step is to be a person of action. You want to jump into something. You want to take those next steps with the Lord. Well, it is our heart that we can be the church that can walk that road with you. So right now, Father, I want to pray for all of those in this place that want to take those next steps in their spiritual journey. I thank you for them. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you move on their hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you do something great in them. I thank you, Father, that you are faithful to complete the work that you have started in every single one of them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you are part of that last little group that I prayed for and you want to take those next steps in your spiritual journey, we really want to connect with you. We have a gift that we would like to give you this morning as you leave. We want to give you a Bible. So please just make your way out there, grab a Bible and connect with us so that we can walk a road with you. We love you guys. Go out there this week. Have a wonderful week. We will see you same time, same place next week. Amen.